This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everyone. With all the room changes, it's like musical chairs here, huh? <laughs> Glad you're still able to find it out. We're going to jump into our discussion for today. Uh, it seems like the last meeting might have gotten out a little, little late, so people will still be filtering in, but we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we're going to be looking at the moment of truth, helping your friends make decisions for Jesus. Uh, but before we do, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for this Sabbath that you've given to us. I thank you that we can spend time with you, Lord, and learning to love you more, Father. And Lord, now as we, as we look at this opening topic, Father, may you please give us wisdom. Help us to learn. Teach us what you'd have us to say, Father. And in all things, may the Son be glorified, we pray. Amen. How many of you have been concerned about giving a Bible study because you know at the very end of that Bible study, you're going to have to ask for a decision? And you start to get those knots in your stomach. What do I say? What if they say no? How do you go about asking someone to make a decision for Christ? How do you know if they're ready to make that decision? That's what we're going to be looking at today. There was a very famous evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody. How many of you have heard of D.L. Moody? A revivalist that would travel around the country and he'd be setting up these tent meetings Thousands would flock to hear the gospel, to be challenged, to have that revival in their life. He was at one point in the city of Chicago. They had set up a large tent there, and, and as D.L. Moody was preaching, he did something a little bit different in this seminar than he had ever done before. His topic was, what to do with Jesus. And as D.L. Moody was preaching and the time came for an appeal, instead of asking for a decision, he made this simple appeal. I want you to go home tonight and spend this week thinking about this question. What do you want to do with Jesus? He did not ask for a decision that night. He put it off. And he never had the opportunity to make that call because you see that very night in Chicago, the great Chicago fire swept across the city. Many of the people that were in attendance there in that tent were killed. Homes were destroyed, lives were ravished. They never had that opportunity to decide what to do with Jesus. D.L. Moody said that is one of the greatest regrets he has ever had in his life. I will never again go through a sermon without making an appeal, without calling someone to make a decision for Christ. And you see, it's the same for us. We don't know if the Bible study we're giving is the very last one they're going to hear. We don't know if that glow track we give someone is their very last opportunity to hear from the Word of God. We don't know. Never fail to ask for a decision. But how do we do this? What is the art of making appeals? We know we need to do it, but how do we practically apply this? Today we're going to look at four levels of decision making. Four levels of decision making. 
There's an evangelist by the name of Robert Boothby who was very effective when he would make a call for an appeal. Many, many dozens of people would come up. And there was one, there was one pastor that went to him and said, I don't understand. When I make appeals, I don't get the results that you get. And Evangelist Boothby replied, unless you preach as if you want someone to make a decision that very night, you will never get any decisions. Unless you're preaching, believing they're going to make a decision, you're never going to get it. And you know it's the same in our Bible studies. I know when I was starting to give Bible studies and I get to that point of asking for the decision and I'm trembling and I'm wondering, are they going to make this decision? If we don't believe that they will, they're not going to. Unless we are confident and we have adequately prepared them for that decision. Now on the other hand of that, who was the greatest soul winner that ever walked this earth? Jesus Christ. Did Jesus know how to make appeals? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did Jesus ever say anything wrong? No. He knew how to reach hearts. He knew what the desires and the needs of their heart were. And yet, did anyone ever walk away? Who? The rich young ruler. Imagine if you were Jesus. You see a man come to you and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? Wouldn't you love to be walking down the convention, walking towards the Sheraton Hotel and have someone come running up to you and say, you're a Christian. What do I need to do to be saved? What would you call that? A divine appointment. Absolutely. Absolutely a divine appointment. And Jesus tells this man what it means. What is the cost of the cross? And, and yet this man walks away. We are told that when he walked away and Jesus, looking on him, loved him. Jesus, looking on him, loved him. In other words, when he walked away, Christ hurt. He loved him. He wanted him to accept the gospel. In our own lives, there may be people, there may be experiences where they walk away. And sometimes we can question and say, I'm not a good soul winner. I obviously can't give Bible studies. I'm obviously not called to evangelism. What if Jesus had said the same thing? What if Jesus had given up? Praise God, he did not. Remember to be faithful. Remember to continue to ask for decisions. Remember that God is the one that can reach hearts. Four levels of decision making. Every decision that is made, whether it's to purchase new shoes or accept new truth or join the Seventh-day Adventist church, requires these same four basic levels of decision making. The first level we're going to look at is information. Before I buy that new car, I need information about that car. What is the gas mileage? How much is it going to cost? What is the color? You know, all those important details, right? You need to have information, and it's the same in spiritual things. If I am presenting a Bible study on the Sabbath, what do they need to know about the Sabbath before they can make a decision? What do they need to know about it before they can make a decision? Why is it important? Why does it matter? Can't I go to church on Wednesday? What else do they need to know? What day is it? 
Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? Is it Monday? What else do you need to know about the Sabbath? How do you keep it? Absolutely. What else? Did Jesus keep the Sabbath? Yes. Did the apostles keep the Sabbath? Yes. Will we be keeping the Sabbath in heaven? Yes, absolutely. So again, before they are ready to make a decision for Sabbath, they need to understand what the Sabbath is about. They need to have adequate information. We were talking yesterday about that example of a first date. And the man leans across the table and says, will you marry me? Any sane woman on a first date would say what? No. No. (laughs) I know nothing about you. I don't have enough information. And again, that's the same for Bible studies. If you don't have enough information, if your Bible study friend doesn't have enough information, they're not going to make a decision. Worse yet, they're going to put up a wall. If that guy asks you to marry him on the very first date, are you going to go out on a second date with him? No, right? (laughs) This is a creeper. I'm not going there. And it's the same with Bible studies. If you ask them for a decision and they don't have the information, they're going to say no, and they don't want to move any further. Once that wall is up, it's hard to take it down. Some key points to remember, let the Bible do the speaking. I could talk all day long about the Sabbath and how I keep it and why it's important to me. But should they keep the Sabbath because of my opinion? No. Unless they see it in the Word of God, they should not believe it. In fact, I even emphasize that during my Bible studies. Don't believe something because I say it. Believe it because you see it in the Word of God. Believe it because it's in the Word of God. If you call for a decision before there's adequate information, the individual will make a negative decision. So we were talking about putting up that wall. Be careful of information overload and present truth gradually. Again, we don't want to... Our goal is not to baptize them on study number one. We need to make sure that they're getting adequate information. We don't want them running to their their Roman Catholic friends with all the Mark of the Beast information as their very first Bible study. It's overwhelming. They need time. Reveal truth gradually. I don't know about about you all, but many of us like to to sleep in in the morning. I'm actually an early riser, but I have a sister that likes to sleep in. And when you're trying to get them up in the morning and you're not successful at calling their name, you often turn on the light. What happens when you turn on the light? How much do they enjoy that? They do not, right? Shut off the light. They pull the pillow over their eyes. It hurts. They're not accustomed to the light. And it's the same in Bible studies. If I'm giving that first Bible study, I better not turn on that light all the way. That's overwhelming. Reveal truth gradually. Did Jesus do this? He once told his disciples, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them yet. I want to tell you so much about the kingdom of God, but you're not ready. He had to reveal that truth gradually. We also need to be aware and careful of programmed non-response, preaching for a decision, but not calling for one. Programmed non-response is very dangerous, amen? Do we know what we said amen to? (laughs) Okay, yes, some of us do because they've, they've had this experience in the training before, but 
Have you ever been in a sermon before and the pastor says amen and the whole congregation says what? Amen. Amen. Do they know what they said amen to? No. Two seconds before they were sound asleep. But the pastor says amen and they say amen. Do we know what we're making a decision for? In fact, I've seen this before with appeals. The pastor says, you know, if you want to make that decision for Christ and be baptized, stand up and then come to the front and and you see some people standing up and then nudging the person next to them. What are we doing? Where are we going? Why are we doing this? <sighs> Program non-response. They're responding and they have no clue why. So make sure, again, in your information as you're presenting, you want to make sure that it's clear to them. Do they get it? Do they see it in the Word of God? One way that we avoid the program non-response is, of course, asking for decisions regularly. But another point I'm going to emphasize a little later in this presentation is something called diagnostic questions. I'm trying to diagnose where they're at. I'm trying to understand uh, their, their understanding, their knowledge at that point. Evangelism, page 298. It says, when persons who are under conviction are not brought to make a decision at the earliest period possible, there is danger that conviction will gradually wear away. Have you seen that happen before? Maybe you've had a friend that has come to a seminar and they were so convicted. They knew it was truth. They knew they they should do these things in their life. But they don't make changes. And so they go back home and, and the same family, the same atmosphere is around them. And soon, what do you know? They're back into that old lifestyle. And that conviction wears away. We need to call people to make decisions when that heart is ripe. When that conviction is there, that is the time. So again, our first step in these four levels of decision-making, information. Do they have enough information? Our second step, conviction. They now must experience that conviction from from the Holy Spirit. Information must be clear before conviction can take place. Who brings conviction? Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried to be the voice of the Holy Spirit before? How well does that work? Especially with your siblings or your spouse, right? (laughs) They love it when you play the Holy Spirit. No, it does not work. It does not work in our Bible studies when I'm trying to be that convicting voice. The Holy Spirit is the only one that knows how to bring that conviction. So how do we know if they're under conviction? How do we know if they've reached the second point? You can ask diagnostic questions such as these. John, is it clear to you that the seventh day is on the Sabbath? Do you see that God asks us to honor him by remembering his seventh day Sabbath? And if John says, no, it's not clear to me, that would be a sign that John needs more information. Good. John needs more information. Okay. So it's not clear to you that the seventh day is on Sabbath? No, I'm still not clear on that. Okay, let's look back at these Bible passages. So that helps me to know he's not ready to progress yet. I need to move back and clarify these questions. Again, remember when a person has received adequate information, they're going to consense this conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, not us. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, not Carissa. It is the Holy Spirit's work. So what do we do to bring about conviction? Pray. 
Absolutely. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do. All right, our third step in the four levels of decision-making. They must have the desire. By showing the benefits of right doing, the consequences of wrongdoing, an individual's decision will be influenced. I'm going to give an example of this. We've all met people that want to stop smoking. And across the United States, is there enough information that smoking is bad for you? Absolutely. Almost everyone, if not everyone in the United States, knows smoking is bad for you. But are they all under conviction? No. Well, it may be good for you, but I can't do it. Some may feel that conviction, yeah, I know I should give it up, but I don't want to. So what level have they not reached yet? Desire. They don't yet have the desire. You're going to encounter that sometimes when you give Bible studies, and they have enough information on the Sabbath. They're convicted that they should keep it, but, but I just don't want to. I like going to my church on Sunday. This might cause challenges in my family. The desire isn't there. So how do you increase that desire? First, of course, and foremost is always prayer. But secondarily is a principle called the mini-max principle. Have you heard of this principle before? Mini-max principle. I want to minimize the negative and maximize the positive. Minimize the negative, maximize the positive. Let me give you an example of this first, and you can tell me if this is the good example or the bad example. Someone uh, I'm giving a Bible study to on baptism. John, I understand your concerns about baptism. You're afraid that your whole family might desert you. They might be bad at this decision. You won't have friends anymore. The friends that you've been close to your whole life will probably desert you because they're going to realize you're just crazy with all these decisions and all these changes in your life. And, and so I know it's going to be very, very difficult for you. You might even lose your job. But John, accept Jesus and be baptized. <laughs> Were you under conviction there? <laughs> no, right? Most people would say, are you kidding me? Why would I do that? That doesn't sound so glorious. But look at it this way. John, I understand your concerns. You're afraid about what your family might think and your friends might think. But John, I want to assure you, when you make this decision for Jesus, Jesus will stand with you. Jesus is the one that has promised never to leave us or forsake us. John, just imagine when you step into that baptismal pool, when you go into that watery grave of baptism, John, it is as though you can hear the angels singing, as though you could hear the voice of your father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. John, tonight, do you want to please the heart of your heavenly father? Is there a difference between those two appeals? A rather dramatic one, right? I'm still mentioning, I hear your concerns, I understand what you're saying, but my focus is Jesus. The, prime, the majority of my time is focused on the blessings they're going to receive from the presence of God, not on the negativity. 
Okay, so make sure that you're emphasizing this in each of your Bible studies. What are the positives? How will this impact their family? What's the blessings they will receive? So thus far, we have seen in our four levels of decision-making, step number one is information. Step two, conviction. Step three, desire. Our last step in asking for a decision is doing what? Asking for the decision. We have moved to action. Testimonies, volume six, this is page 67. It says, Christ crucified. Talk it, pray it, sing it, and it will break and win hearts. Talk it, pray it, sing it, and it will break and win hearts. The center of every appeal, the center of every decision question is Jesus Christ. If you have not done this before, I would encourage you to pull out the 28 fundamental beliefs. Look at each one of our doctrines and say, where is the character of Christ revealed in the health message? Where is the character of Christ revealed in hellfire? Where is the character of Christ revealed in the state of the dead? Do we see Jesus as the core of every one of our beliefs? He is. He must be. The center of every decision question is Jesus Christ. Now, again, we do want to be specific on what decision we're asking for. So if we're asking them to make a decision on the Sabbath, we're specific about keeping the Sabbath. But it's always focused on the love of Jesus. Today, is it your desire to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and keep his Sabbath day holy? Jesus is the center. Did you see that? Jesus is the center of every decision. For action to take place, it takes more than just a Bible text to motivate the heart. It takes the individual verbally agreeing with obeying the truth in God's word. Let me explain that a little bit. The power is in the word of God. There is nothing more that I can add to the word of God. That is where the power is. But oftentimes when people hear scripture, it goes right over their head. Almost everyone in the United States knows John chapter 3, verse 16. They have banners in the football stadiums, right? But how many people are actually impacted by that verse? Yeah, 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 I know God loves the rest of the world, but I don't feel he loves me. But if you share that verse with them and then you explain it in such a way to connect with them, Lachelle, Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. I'm taking that verse and I am making it personable. I'm applying it to their life. So again, don't just quote scripture that's going to bounce off their head. How can you explain this verse and make it reach their heart? Here is how I structure the appeal moving into the decision question. This works if you're doing a Bible study. It also works if you're preaching a sermon. It's the same concept. First, I typically start with a story. Now, the story could be the story of the, of the woman that rescues her child from a burning house. It could be uh, the story of a, of a boy that, that rescued his brother from the well. Those stories that you hear in the news. Uh, something that, again, is going to connect them with what they've heard in the Word of God that day. Could be the story of Calvary, connecting them back to the cross and seeing the picture of what Jesus did in their life. 
Again, it could be a parable. It could be your own personal testimony. Maybe your subject is on baptism and you're calling them to recommit their life to Christ and be baptized. And you're sharing your own testimony about the struggles that you faced, but you finally gave your life to Christ and there was so much freedom and joy and peace that you experienced. So share a story that's going to connect what they have learned with their heart. Then I typically will share a Bible verse and I'll mention um, 2 Corinthians 12.9 or John 3.16, something that again is going to reach their heart. Today God has a promise for us through his word. I mentioned to you a few days ago about Ruby, the woman that was coming to our seminar, and she was a former prostitute and a drug addict. And I shared with her 2 Corinthians 5.17 that Christ makes all things new. There is power, there is freedom in the Word of God. Share that Bible verse with them. Third step, you're explaining that Bible verse. So again, I don't want it just to hit her head, but what does that Bible verse mean to her heart today? How does it apply to her life today? And lastly, now I'm moving into that decision question. Today, is it your desire to stand with Jesus? To stand and say you want to honor him with your life? Okay, does that, does that make sense? Those four steps. Okay, something you can practice during the week, maybe. Come up with a Bible study that you're working on. We talked about yesterday how to structure that Bible study. And then go through an appeal. What story can I use? What Bible verse correlates with that? How can I explain it so it actually reaches their heart? There are four different types of appeals that you can use, and we're going to go through this briefly here. The first one is the goodness of God's love. John 3.16 is an example of that. Of course, there are many different ones you could use, Romans 5.8, Revelation 3.20, many different verses you could use, but the concept is the goodness of God's love. So my appeal is based off of that. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Secondarily, the influence of example, Romans 14.7. Let's say that I'm having a Bible study with a woman, uh, a single woman, has several children, and and she wants to be a good example to those children. I may use this example of Romans 14, 7, that no one lives unto himself. Sherry, you are such an incredible example to your children. I have seen how they love and respect you and the close bond that you have with them. Sherry, as you make this decision for Christ, as you make this decision to be baptized, your children are going to see this decision. And when they face challenges in their life in the future, they're going to remember how their mom stood true, true and strong for Jesus Christ. And Sherry, that's going to strengthen their desire to do the same. Okay, I'm connecting with Sherry and I'm saying, I know that this is important to you. I know the influence you have over your children is important. Imagine what influence you can have over your children for the kingdom of God. Another example would be, uh, third type of appeal, the power of choice. Joshua 24, 15, Choose ye this day whom you shall serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There may be someone that's been wavering between these decisions, and you know now is the time. Today is the day. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Jesus is calling us today to make a decision. 
Will we choose to be faithful to him? Do we want to be ready for his soon coming? Will we stand for the Savior who stood for us? Okay, the power of choice. Lastly, the last type of appeal you can make is the danger of delay. Now, this one I use very sparingly. Very sparingly, because you see in decisions, I never want to back someone against a wall. Does Jesus do that with Nicodemus? No. Did Nicodemus make a decision that night in the garden? No. It took him a few years before he finally said, all right, I'm sold out, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't push him. But there may be situations where you know now is the time they need to make this decision. They can't keep wavering back and forth. And John 12, 35 and 36 is excellent in that, in that instance. It says, walk in the light while you have the light, lest darkness comes upon you. And we have received so much light from God's word through these Bible studies. And I have seen how greatly you love the Lord and desire to serve him. And today, Jeannie, Jesus is calling us and saying, walk in the light. Walk in the light that you've received. Move forward in the path that he has for you. And one thing you may notice in these examples that I'm giving, I'm typically including myself. Join me. Jesus is calling us. Because if I was to say to Thomas, Thomas, do you want to give your life to Jesus and be baptized? Do you want to finally get rid of all those sins in your life? How could that make Thomas feel? I have just put him on the spot and said, you heathen, while I'm up here as a saint, right? But instead, if I connect and I say, you know, Thomas, Jesus is calling us to give our lives to him. He wants to take away our sins and to give us that new life in him. Today, do you want to join me in saying, Jesus, I want to be forgiven and cleansed? It's a very different appeal, is it not? (laughs) Connect with him. Include yourself where you can. Obviously, there's a difference if you're talking about baptism. You can't get baptized every single time with every single Bible study contact, right? Uh, But do try and include yourself where you can. All right, pointers for gaining decisions. Step one, look for statements that show you this person is convicted and they're ready to move forward in faith. An example of this, if someone just learned about tithe and the importance of it, they may ask you, you know, I want to start giving tithe. Can I give it to you to give to your church? Is that a good sign? Yes, absolutely. They have the desire to give tithe. Good, they understand the message. If you've been sharing with them about the Sabbath and they say, do you have a church nearby that worships on the Sabbath? Awesome. They understand. They're ready to move forward. Point two, speak to the heart more than to the intellect. That's what we're talking about, about taking these Bible verses and now apply it to their heart. Make it real and genuine. Help them to experience it for themselves. Evangelism, page 285. After the meetings are through, there should be a personal investigation with each one on the ground. Each one should be asked, how is he going to take these things and if he's going to make a personal application of them? And then you should watch. See if there's an interest in this one or that. Five words spoken to them privately will do more than the whole discourse has done. When you run an evangelistic seminar at your church, often the celebrity of the program, or so it is thought, is the evangelist. 
the person that's up front calling for decisions. But if you read this last sentence again, she tells us five words spoken to them privately will do more than that whole sermon has done. The five words that you speak to that guest there on the pew is more effective than the whole sermon that was just preached. The power of personal evangelism. Lastly, a point for gaining decision, we're asking diagnostic questions. Here's a couple examples of that. Is it clear to you from the Bible that the seventh day is the Sabbath? Do you have any questions? Is there anything hindering you from keeping this special day? Anything hindering you? Now, I'm asking questions all the way along because I want to know, do they have enough information? If they don't have enough information, I need to back up and give them more information. Do they have enough information? The worst thing I could do would be to get to the very end and make my appeal and say, do you want to honor God by keeping his seventh-day Sabbath holy? And they say, well, what day is the Sabbath? You know, I'm not clear on that yet. I don't understand. <sighs> kidding me. <laughs> we went this whole hour and they didn't understand the fundamentals. We don't want that to happen. So constantly be asking, is it clear to you from the Bible? Do you see from the word of God? Is there anything hindering you from keeping this special day? Let's say, again, that I made the call for them to keep the Sabbath, and they say, no, I don't think I can. Okay, well, it was nice having Bible studies with you. God bless you in your journey. Is that your response? No, absolutely not. I need to figure out what is keeping them from making that decision. So I'm going to ask, is there anything hindering you from keeping this special day? Well, yes, my, my work, uh, I'm not sure if I can do it because of my job. Okay. Now I need to figure out, is that the true objection or are they just making up excuses? And so I'm going to ask them, if that obstacle was removed, would there be anything else hindering you from keeping the Sabbath? If they say no, that's it. Excellent. Now we can talk about the, the work issue. We can work through that situation. But they may tell you, no, actually, I, I don't have transportation either. Okay. Now I need to figure out if transportation is the issue or if that's, again, an excuse. Well, if that obstacle was removed, would there be anything hindering you from keeping the Sabbath? No, nothing. If transportation, oh, good, okay, we can arrange it. But if they say, oh, no, I still can't, what do I need to ask? or anything hindering you, anything keeping you. And I ask again, and she says, oh, yes, my husband. I don't know what he would say about it. Well, if that obstacle is removed, okay, so we're not going to remove the husband. <laughs> but now we might know, okay, that's the real heart issue. Now we can meet that need. Is there anything hindering you from making this decision? This, again, is a very brief overview for the the time limitations, unfortunately, we have here. Again, if you go to GYCweb.org, you'll see my notes are there. And so you can print that off. You're welcome to email me, too, if you'd like more information. I'll also be around to answer questions. But GYCweb.org, the notes are there next to the seminar uh, presenters. But in closing, Gospel Workers, page 193, remember this quote. <laughs> Your success does not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to the heart. You may have all the information. You may have the book of Revelation memorized. 
But can you reach the heart? Can you show them the love of Jesus Christ? I want to tell you a story, a true story, as we close. There was a young couple by the name of Ella and Nathan. Ella and Nathan had come across the Oregon Trail as children, and they had met in California and were married. And Ella and Nathan were a, a happy, newly married couple. Maybe you, some of you that are married here can think back to those early days, and, and you're trying to, to do everything to please your spouse. You're trying to make them happy, and, and Nathan is just walking on air because of his sweet little wife, Ella. Nathan had been saving up money for some time because, you see, he really wanted a horse. They knew that they needed a horse so that that can, horse can work in their farm and, and help them to, to increase their livestock. And, and someday they're hoping to have a family of their own. And, and so Nathan had been saving up money, little money here and there. And, and finally one day he comes to Ella and he says, Honey, I have enough money. Can I go buy that horse? Ella, of course, being the adoring wife that she was, turned to him and says, well, yes, honey. But you see, town is a long ways away. It's half a day's journey. So as you're in town, I, I need sugar and flour and cotton and, and gives him the little honeydew list. So off Nathan heads into town and he's in his little buggy and he is so excited he can't wait to get the horse of his dreams. He's dreaming about the color and how strong it will be and how nice it will be to have it on the farm. He finally arrives in town, and he goes to the general manager of a store there, and, and he asks the man, do you have any horses for sale? The man responded, I have the horse of your dreams. He led him out back to this beautiful horse, exactly the horse he was desiring. Nathan said, I want it. And he began to bargain back and forth with the man and got the price he was looking for, and he said, I'll take it. When the man turned to him and said, hold on a moment. If you want the horse, you get the boy. The boy? The manager pointed over to a, a bale of hay, and there was a little boy, three or four years old, curled up on that bale of hay. If you want the horse, you get the boy. You see, this boy's family had come across on the Oregon Trail, and, and some Somehow the story is lost through the generations, either through Indian attack or sickness or something happened, and the whole family passed away. All that was left was the horse and the boy. If you want the horse, you get the boy. Imagine what was he going to say? How could he come home to his wife with a horse and cotton and sugar and flour and, oh, by the way, we now have a son? What was he going to do? Nathan went on his way and he continued to do the shopping and, and it wasn't long before he began his journey home, riding in the buggy. He finally got the courage to look down at the horse tied to the back of the buggy and the little boy sitting next to him. As they drove to the house, Nathan began to, to ask the boy, what's your name? Harry? What's your last name? Harry? He didn't even know his name, his last name. And so he finally came up with a plan with the boy, and he said, Harry, when we arrive at the house, I want you to say, Mama, I'm home. 
And they begin to practice back and forth. Mama, I'm, that's good, Harry. Mama, I'm home. Mama, Mama, I'm home. Good job, Harry. Practicing back and forth. And it wasn't long before they're pulling up in that driveway in the little buggy. And he sees Ella in front as that adoring wife looking out at her husband, excited to see what horse he may have gotten. And then yet that puzzled look in her face as she sees the little boy sitting next to him. The wagon pulls up in front and stops, and Harry is frozen to his seat. Nathan gives him a little nudge, and Harry jumps down, runs up those stairs, climbs up onto the deck, grabs Ella around the legs, and says, Mama, I'm home. Without a second thought, Ella reaches down, picks him up, holds him tight, and says, Yes, my son, you're home. Yes, my son, you are home. You see, this story is beautiful to me because Ella and Nathan were the first Seventh-day Adventists in my family. They went on to have many other children, and, and it's beautiful to see this example of unconditional love. Yes, my son, you are home. I look forward to the day when, by the grace of God, we will be in heaven. By the grace of God, Jesus will bring us before the presence of the Father. Can you imagine the day when we come before the Father and we say, Father, we're home. And the Father says, yes, my son, yes, my daughter, you are home. But better yet, Imagine looking around you and seeing the group of people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, that by God's grace you have reached for his kingdom. I don't want to go home alone. By God's grace, may we reach a soul for him this year. If it is your desire to be that soul winner for Christ, please stand with me as we pray. Father, we are assured that Jesus is now preparing a mansion for us. But Lord, we don't want to go alone, Father. Father, we know that we have family and friends that have not yet accepted you. Father, please soften their hearts. Give us the words. Give us those divine appointments. Help our hearts and our eyes to be open and receptive to them, Lord. Father, I pray that this year you may use us to bring a soul to your kingdom, Lord. Father, we look forward to that day when we're finally reunited with you and we never have to part again. Father, keep us faithful unto that day. In all things, may you be glorified. May your name be praised, we pray. Amen. May God bless you. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.